0: And there are people who are trotting down that path of unrighteousness, refusing to receive the free gift that comes through Jesus Christ. The second path is that path of salvation that was first trodden down by the feet of Jesus. Not that he needed to be saved, but he needed to come to show us the way of salvation. And not just a let me show the way. He had to do the work upon the cross. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that we can be saved.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: So today we're looking at John chapter 3. We're picking up the remainder of John chapter 3, verses 17 through 36. I titled this, He Must Increase this was an easy title for me. Uh, I had this title picked a few weeks ago I didn't even have to think about it because it's probably For John the Baptist Maybe the second most famous saying I might be able to say of John the Baptist the first I would say behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the second And where was that scripture found by the way? I just want to check on you behold the Lamb of God John what? 129, come on, last month's memory verse, you guys know it, don't be shy, it's a snow day, we can be a little, I might point you out today. The second being that he must increase and I must decrease, and so I knew a few weeks ago that I would title this passage related to that, he must increase, and it should be the attitude of our hearts, each of us as believers. We closed out last week with John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, that a man named Nicodemus, as we know, came to Jesus by night, acknowledged that the miracles that Jesus had been doing showed, gave testimony that God had sent him. Jesus didn't go into detail about any of the signs, any of the miracles. He simply told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. He talked about the necessity of two births. And Nicodemus was, as we learned last week, the teacher of Israel. He had a pretty prominent place in Israel society as one of the great religious teachers. We don't know how great he was, but Jesus definitely used a definite article to describe him. He did not say, you are a teacher in Israel. He said, you being the teacher of Israel. We do know that he was on the Sanhedrin court, a court that consisted of 71 members that ruled over Jerusalem and the religious order of Israel at that time. And they also had a lot of political influence as well. But at this time, Rome ruling over the nation of Israel. And so they had a lot of authority, but not total authority. Of course, that plays into Jesus's crucifixion because The Sanhedrin court would condemn Jesus to be crucified, but they didn't have the legal authority to crucify him, so they had to go to the Romans, who had that legal authority, and thus Jesus died for the sin of the whole world, both the Jew and the Gentile, as both Jew and Gentile were involved in his condemnation and crucifixion. They condemned him, but he, as we know, was innocent. But Jesus talked about the necessity of being born again, talking about two births. And I had this in your notes from last week, that it's a saying that kind of goes along with this passage that I don't know who began the saying. I've just heard it, I think, growing up in the church my whole life, that if you're born once, you will die twice. But if you're born twice, you will only die once Meaning that if you are born physically one time, then there awaits two deaths for you: a physical death and also a, a spiritual death separated from God. But if you're born twice, born physically and also spiritually, then there's only one death that awaits us, and that is the physical death, but we will live forevermore. And we find in John 3:16, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, if not the most famous in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I think it's significant that we look at verse 17. We're going to actually look at verses 17 through 36. But John 3:16 is kind of half the story. You have to go to Verses 17 and 18 to pick up the remainder of the story concerning God's great gift to us through Jesus but also Having everlasting life by believing in Jesus, but also the other side of that if we refuse to believe so today We're going to look at a message. I titled he must increase and we're going to see in point one he who believes verses 17 through 21 In point two, I must decrease, verses 22 through 30. And our final point, everlasting life, verses 31 through 36. I'm going to read us through our first point. Uh, The scripture is John 3, verses 17 through 21. He who believes and will open in prayer. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we'd open our hearts to receive anything that you would have for us today. Prick our hearts, Lord, that we might serve you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the continuation of John 3.16, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It was not for condemnation, the purpose of Jesus' coming, but for our salvation. Yet because of our inherent sin nature, which resulted from the fall that we learn about back in Genesis uh, chapter 3, We learn here in our text that we already stand condemned. In verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. And so here is the condemnation that those who choose not to believe in Jesus, they already stand condemned because the Bible teaches us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus came that he might bear our sins upon the cross, that we might find forgiveness and be saved. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The purpose of Jesus' coming was that he could pay the price of our sin because God And his law brings us into that condemnation. We have an inherent sin nature from Adam and Eve. We were born into sin. The outcome of that sin, which is death, he paid the price that we could not pay for ourselves. You know, as I was closing out the year 2014, I was thinking about Peter and Paul's resolve in Jesus. And as I was thinking about their resolve to serve Jesus I wrote down four words, and you may have seen them in the foyer today. Believe, receive, grow, and go. And I was just thinking about Peter and Paul and how they strive to serve the Lord no matter what the cost. And as I thought about them, I thought about believe. And Hebrews 11:6 6, that tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is a first and necessary step is to believe that god exists that god is real but secondly we have to receive there's a lot of people if you ask them if they believe in god they will acknowledge yeah i believe in god but that's not the end of the story it doesn't it shouldn't be the end of the story you have to take a next step it's not just belief in god but it's receiving God's only Son, Jesus Christ, as it tells us in Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense, death reign through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So it's one thing to believe in God. That's a good thing. It's a good first step. But you have to believe and receive. You have to receive the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. In this world, there are two distinct paths that have been laid out for us. The first path is a well-trodden down path that has been a path that, since Adam and Eve took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there in the Garden of Eden. And there are many people who have walked that road of disobedience against God. I believe Adam and Eve found redemption with the Lord, but they failed And because of that, the sin nature had been passed on to us. And there are people who are trotting down that path of unrighteousness, refusing to receive the free gift that comes through Jesus Christ. The second path is that path of salvation that was first trodden down by the feet of Jesus. Not that he needed to be saved, but he needed to come to show us the way of salvation and not just a let me show the way, He had to do the work upon the cross. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that we can be saved. Salvation comes through believing that God is, but also by receiving the gift of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In verses 19 through 21, we find those who practice evil versus those who do the truth. And he says in verse 19, this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Yes, we have an inherent sin nature, but we also personally have sinned. We mess up, we make mistakes that has caused us to be out of fellowship with the Lord. And we have a choice to make whether we're going to walk in fellowship with the Lord through receiving Jesus. Or rejecting him. Jesus said in John 8.12 that I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. The condemnation that the light has come into the world but men love darkness rather than the light. And he gives two reasons why they love the darkness rather than the light. First because their deeds are evil. Those two reasons we find in 2 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, and by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded in water. We find that in a world where men love the deeds of evil rather than the light, they willfully forget that, one, God created the heavens and the earth. As we learn in Genesis 1:1. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But secondly, that God has already destroyed this world once. One of the things that stood out to me in our prophecy update on Wednesday was a recent discovery. The article came from February 1st of 2018 of a, a rather small uh, stone by size. I think it was found in Maryland at a a company that helps to build outer space stuff. Uh, There was a husband dropping his wife off at work, and he noticed this small stone uh, sticking out of the ground, and he's an amateur paleontologist, so he went to check it out up close and realized that there were dinosaur tracks on that stone. So he dug it up, and it was a stone three feet by eight feet that had over... 70 tracks preserved on that, which is really small, three feet by eight feet, to have 70 tracks of dinosaurs. But what was amazing about the discovery, there were also small mammals on there. Dinosaurs and mammals don't fit the timeline of evolution. Little squirrels and raccoons running around at the same time as dinosaurs. But the article goes on to say that the tracks had to be made either a day or two apart from one another, or even on the very day to be preserved at the same strata. And so it's kind of turning the scientific world upside down. It was a good thing for creationists and those who believe that God created the heavens and the earth and that he has destroyed it once. They willfully forget these things. But 2 Peter 3.7 tells us, But the heavens and the earth, which now are being preserved by the same word, are reserved for the fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That the Lord is preserving. The same word that destroyed is now preserving. And while the Lord is preserving the world, there is opportunity for people to get saved. It's what we are about as a church to help bring uh, a couple of things. One, to bring salvation to those who are lost through faith in Jesus Christ. And the second thing is is to help us to uh, grow and to go and to reach others with the testimony of Jesus Christ. Acts 17, 30 and 31, Paul gave testimony to those in Athens saying, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead god has appointed a day that he will one day judge this world by the man jesus christ but until that day god is preserving us and giving us opportunity that we might be saved that we might continue to grow in our faith, that we can share our faith with others. So he says in verse 20, everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And when it comes to this world, not all light is the same light. Jesus said, as we already looked at, I am the light of the world. But there are some false lights out there, some number of false lights, and Satan is the greatest of these. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, it tells us there are such false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. But notice that it tells me, tells us in verse 20, everyone practicing Evil. Everyone practicing evil. It's a Greek word that refers to to perform repeatedly, habitually. This is their way of life. Their condition themselves is a habitual thing to practice evil. Compared to those who do the truth in verse 21. Those who do the truth, it means to make, do or keep You conduct yourself in such a way that you're walking in fellowship with God. I was thinking about light and darkness, light and darkness, and somehow I came across something online today. I never knew this about the pirates, and one of the reasons they wore patches over their eyes was not because they got their eye poked out in a sword fight. It could have happened, but that wasn't the the main reason why many of the pirates wore eye patches. They wore them that when they were raiding a ship and would have to go from above the deck to below deck, that they could quickly take the patch and switch to the other eye. So the one eye was always prepared for darkness and the other eye was always prepared for light. So they could quickly move from light to darkness and not hinder themselves in the battle. I fear that that is how a lot of people live their lives today attempt to live like a pirate, our mateys, with a patch over their eye, that they can quickly move from darkness to light. And, you know, I can do the church thing, or I can do the world thing, and unhinder my walk. But it is a hindrance. We should, as creatures of the light, as those who are redeemed, darkness should repel us and cause us to Cause our eyes to just repulse it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to participate with it. Just as those who have been in extreme darkness and walk into the light are repelled by the light. Got to get your shades on because you can't handle it. Sadly, Christians conduct themselves more like the pirates of the seven seas, trying to move skillfully between darkness and light. And Isaiah 520 tells us, Woe to those! Who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who for bitter sweet and sweet for bitter. We're to be those who are doing the light that our deeds might be clearly seen that they have been done in God. It's important to follow the true light, the light of Jesus Christ. We're to be about doing the light. Last week, as we close out the message when I was in my early 20s, where I struggled in my faith, wondering if I was saved or not. And one of the things that I did during that time that I think was probably the most healthy thing, in the midst of my struggles, I kept going to church. I kept doing the things that I'd been taught as a child. I was a young adult. I had two kids already. It's probably too young to have those two kids, but Nonetheless, Lily and I had Johnny and Melissa at that time. And I didn't stop exposing myself to the light. One of the problems I see in our world today, and for so many people, is that they question whether God is real or not. And in their questioning, they decide that I'm just not going to investigate it any further. I'm going to stop exposing myself to the truth that can set me free and I'm going to live in the darkness. And you're not going to find the light in the darkness. Sure, it can happen. But you have far greater chance of getting a quicker resolve by staying in the light. and By staying near to Jesus and his people and growing and learning. Walking in the light of Jesus, it assures us that we have this light of life. Jesus said in John 1-4 that... Well, John wrote concerning him, John 1, 4, in him is life, and the life was the light of men. Again, John wrote in John 1, 9, that this was the true light that gives light to every man coming in the world. And Jesus said in John 9, verses 4 and 5, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. And Jesus is that true light that shines in the darkness. And I just want to encourage you to stay in the light, to walk with Jesus, grow in your faith. And if you have struggles, well, he'll help you work through those things. Our brother and sister will come alongside you to help you work through those things. But it's good to be exposed to the light. And it's good to know that those who believe in Jesus no longer stand condemned before God. Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And I pray, Lord, that we would have just the surety of salvation that you have promised in your word. If there are those who are doubting those things today. Lord, also, if there are some, Lord, who's never called upon the name of the Lord, that they might be saved. Lord, that they've never received salvation and today you've reminded them because they've never asked to receive you into their heart they stand condemned and lord if that individual or individuals no longer desire that condemnation may you encourage them lord through your holy spirit to respond that they might be saved that they might have everlasting life and lord for us who are believers Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the attitude of John the Baptist, that we might say he must increase and we must decrease, that we might point others to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In all that we do, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ.